Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. This week, a look at the first year of sports gambling in Arizona. Winter is the peak season for sporting events in Arizona. As the rest of the country prepares for cold temperatures and short days, people begin to flock to the state for special sporting events from professional golf tournaments to college football bowl games and this year, the Super Bowl. We're a couple of weeks away from the Phoenix area hosting the NFL championship game for the fourth time, but this year has one prominent difference. It's the first time that Arizona has hosted one of the world's biggest sporting events since event wagering became legal. It's also the first time that online gambling has been legal in the Super Bowl host city. Last weekend, with football playoffs in full swing, we sent the Buzz production assistants Samantha Larned and Phil Howard out to Maingate Square near the University of Arizona campus. Their job? Ask people who were out to watch the games if they've ever bet, and if so, why. We start with Karcher Coons, who said he likes to place occasional bets. Definitely more exciting for games that I'm not that interested in. Um, I only bet NFL because that's all I know. Yeah, I don't really watch that many other sports. Eric McNeilius has done online betting on occasion, but mostly on another sport that finds its way to Arizona in the winter. I've probably done it on five different occasions. Golf, almost exclusively. Little football, I guess. Dan Budanitsky and David Adarash both say betting on games increases their enjoyment of sporting events. I do it for football and basketball, though. Yeah, I bet for soccer, but I mean, I just turned 21, so I haven't really done too much. Does it make it more exciting? I would say so. Yeah, it definitely makes it more exciting. Yeah, it's a good time. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Put some stakes in the game, I guess. Yeah, make a game that doesn't matter, matter, right? Yeah. These young men are not alone. Sports betting in Arizona became legal in September of 2021. From then until October of 2022, the last full month of data published by the Arizona Department of Gaming, more than $6.5 billion has been wagered in Arizona on athletic events and fantasy sports. Those bets have resulted in about $27 million in fees paid to Arizona. Gambling wasn't new to the state prior to last fall, though. There were state-sanctioned lotteries and charity raffles, as well as Betty on Horse and, until 2016, dog races. Then there's gaming on Native American reservations. Gambling on tribal land in Arizona has been legal since 1993, with some of the financial windfall going to Arizona for education, emergency services, wildlife conservation, tourism, and the department that regulates gaming and offers help to those with a gambling problem. In the year before sports gambling began, tribal gaming contributed about $100 million to the state and it increased another $30 million once sports gambling began. Max Hartgraves is a spokesperson for the Arizona Department of Gaming. I started our conversation by asking him how gambling in Arizona has changed since 2021. You know, it's definitely uh, brought, it's brought a whole new gaming industry to the state of Arizona, which is really exciting to see, and those in the state can now wager on sports and other events. Um, and this has been in place since uh, September 9th of 2021. So we've had uh, over a year of legal sports betting now. And 
You know, the state has seen billions of dollars wagered and paid out, as well as tens of millions of dollars uh, contributed to the state as well, which is exciting to see. One thing to add is uh, it tends to get lost that sports betting is it was only a piece of the larger gambling expansion here in Arizona, right? Um, back in April, uh, you know, sports betting was legalized as well as a whole new slate of casino games at Arizona Tribal Casinos, games like craps, roulette, baccarat, and these are all now legal in the state. And uh, we've seen benefits and tribal contributions as well. We've seen increases to the to the state and tribal contributions. So. Uh, without a doubt, we've seen a lot of benefits uh, from the state's recent uh, gambling expansion. When it comes to sports betting, you mentioned contributions, but how does the state, for lack of a better term, make money on sports betting? Does it tax winnings? Does it charge the companies? Is there something else? Yes, a great question. So there, there's two types of fees uh, the state collects from the operation of sports betting. One is the as licensing fees from operators and other industry participants. Um, for example, an event wagering operator had to pay a $750,000 initiation fee and then a yearly fee of $150,000, which has equated to well over $14 million to the state thus far, which is exciting to see. On the other side of it is the privilege fees, right? And privilege fees consist of a percentage of, of revenue produced by an event wagering operator. Um, so uh, for retail locations specifically, that's set at 8%, whereas it's 10% for mobile operations. And uh, to add to that, it's, we've the state seen approximately $27 million or so in privilege, privilege fees collected thus far from uh, sports betting. Now, you mentioned earlier that part of the expansion in, in gambling in Arizona were new casino games and things like that. So how do all those fees that the sports betting side of the house are paying Arizona, how does that differ from what casinos pay to the state or, or even the lottery, you know, which is gambling? Um, you know, how does the state make money off all of those? Absolutely. So uh, sports betting, um, those revenues go to the state general fund uh, by statute. Um, tribal contributions, on the other hand, uh, by statute, go to a lot of different places. Uh, uh, education is a huge, a huge recipient from tribal gaming contributions, as well as trauma and emergency services. Uh, tourism also receives contributions from gaming, as well as wildlife cons conservation. And they also fund our division of problem gambling. Um, so uh, tribal contributions, uh, you know, they're, they're very, there's a lot of different types of contributions. And uh, you know, in our last fiscal year, we saw over $122 million contributed to the state um, from tribal contributions. And uh, the last two quarters have seen near record levels of uh, contributions for those two quarters. So it's exciting to see these the growth in contributions from uh, tribal gaming. Looking at some of the data, it looked like last year, you know, betting peaked in March sports betting and then it hits a low in the summer last year. Granted, it's only a year's worth of data, but does that mean that Arizona's gamblers are more likely to bet on sports like football and college basketball in March versus, say, baseball? Yes, uh, yes, you hit the nail right on the head right there. Um, typically speaking, across the U.S., it's not specific to Arizona. Um, you tend to see higher levels of sports betting during those winter and spring months for, for football, basketball, March Madness. Um, these are really popular events for uh, people in the U.S. to wager on. Um, and that kind of culminates with uh, the Super Bowl coming up here in, in February, as well as March Madness. You see the highest levels of wagering on those two events specifically. But yes, 
throughout the winter months, you tend to see increased levels of wagering when compared to summer when you really only have baseball and some other other sports going on. It looks like that in-person betting, going into a sports book at one of the casinos or something, really only makes up about 1% of the money wagered in Arizona. Is it surprising that most of this is being done online? You know, I, I wouldn't say it's surprising. Um, you know, mobile the, the mobile applications are much uh, much more accessible, right? So it goes to reason that more people would be using them. Um, the retail locations typically aren't as popular when you look at that across the country. So, um, you know, that's definitely a trend you see throughout the U.S. When they, if a state does have the option of mobile wagering, that tends to be used more so than the retail locations. You mentioned the Super Bowl coming up here just in a couple of weeks. From what I understand, you couldn't get a hotel or rent a house in Scottsdale or anywhere else in the Metro Phoenix area around the Super Bowl. So we know people are coming in for it. There's also a major golf tournament coming. Uh, spring training's about to kick off. Do we see a bump in sports betting when there is sports-related tourism to our wonderful state, especially in the winter when it's snowing everywhere else? Very possibly. You know, it's hard to say for sure if if we see a bump. We're still early on, right? This is going to be our second spring with legal wagering, right? So we don't have as much data to look at, but uh, that definitely goes to reason, right? Uh, Sports betting is just another attraction for those tourists coming to Arizona, right? You know, maybe they were coming for Phoenix Waste Management or they're coming for the Super Bowl. Now they're also able to sports bet in the state as well. So without a doubt, I think that definitely impacts, you know, tourism here in Arizona. Even though we only got a short history with sports betting in Arizona, do we know anything about the demographics of your typical, for lack of a better term, uh, person who's putting a bet on a game, um, you know, how much they bet, if they live here, all kinds of things like that? You know, that that is one thing the department, we do not track that type of specific stuff. Uh, so it is hard to say exactly what, what those demographics or, or average types of bet look like. Um, I think there is some articles out there on some national trends and what you tend to see. Um, I think I think I saw the vast majority of bettors place less than $200 a month, but I saw an article on that recently. But um, I don't have anything for spe- uh, specific to Arizona, unfortunately. You mentioned the companies that you know have to apply to accept bets here, especially the online companies and their annual fees. What are their responsibilities when it comes to what they need to do to remain in good standing with your department and with the state as a whole? Well, there's a variety of things. We have a wide set of rules um, that they have to comply with, right? We we go through things like their event wagering systems and their platforms and their house rules, and those all have to be approved by our department and are reviewed by our department. We also do audits of these companies as well on a uh, you know on a consistent basis. So all these things go into the regulation of sports betting, um, and and there's a lot more, right? We we work with other uh, jurisdictions as well and operators throughout the U.S. to monitor sports betting. Uh, trends. And uh, that's a big part of the enforcement of sports betting, right? Collaboratively working together with other jurisdictions. So, um, you know, you know, there's a lot of specific things we definitely do. And a lot of that's actually laid out in our rules. But um, yeah, I mean, hopefully that gives you kind of an idea of, of some of the things we do. Great. Well, thanks for spending some time with us. Of course. Happy to do so. That was Max Hartgraves, a spokesperson for the Arizona Department of Gaming. You're listening to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. We're looking at legal sports betting in Arizona this week. 
We now return to University Avenue just west of the U of A campus where the Buzz production assistants Samantha Larned and Phil Howard ask people if they've taken advantage of legal sports betting in Arizona. Renee Ivizu says he hasn't. I particularly don't bet because I just, you know, don't really like to. I can't afford to lose the money, but I know people make money out of it. If I bet, I would sit there wanting the, the team that I bet on to win, right? Because there's an interest for me to do that. So yes, I would say it would definitely make the game more exciting. My team is the Steelers. I know that they haven't been doing really good this year. But if I were to bet, I would bet on them. Jack McDaniels and Dom Rocco say they bet on football and just about any other sport. Nothing like boozing with the boys, tossing some cheddar on the games, you know what I'm saying? Golf, cricket, everything, bro. There's no there's no sport that doesn't have a place in my heart to have money on. I, I kind of just bet. I mean, I, my favorite sport's baseball, so I like baseball, but I like football too, basketball a little bit. Not everyone who bets comes out a winner. Since sports gambling became legal in Arizona, about a half billion dollars has been lost. And not everyone who places those bets has the money to lose, nor can they always control the compulsion to do so. Arizona's first efforts to curtail problem gambling came in 1998 with the Arizona Lottery's Please Play Responsibly program. A 2002 ballot measure directed 2% of tribal gaming contributions for the regulation of gambling and efforts to combat problem gambling. Today, those funds go toward the Arizona Department of Gaming and its Problem Gambling Division. Elise Mickelson is director of the Problem Gambling Division. I started our conversation by asking her if there's been much of an increase in those seeking help for gambling addiction since Arizona expanded legal gambling. You know, things, um, the timing has been interesting. Max mentioned that um, sports wagering has been legal since the beginning of September in 2021. And as we all know, we had a couple of years um, when everything changed for the world related to the pandemic. And so we definitely saw a dip in those seeking treatment services, those um, seeking assistance through our helpline during the pandemic. And so we have slowly been seeing an increase since then. So in the midst of that, we have um, the inception of legalized sports betting here in Arizona. So trying to take a look at this data pile at this point and do that analysis has um, been tricky, and we're not ready to make any of those claims just yet. There's a lot of different components involved, a lot of different things to take a look at. So I can't directly equate at this time, this this far in, um, that we have seen an increase in those with problems with gambling. As a reporter who works with data, I really like that phrase, data pile. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so on average, how many calls does the hotline, the helpline receive daily? And are there times of day that you see more calls or fewer calls? What can you tell us about how that functions? The average currently is around 50 to 60 persons per month. That is an increase from prior to sports wagering. Um, it was running about 25, 30 at that time. Um, again, there was a dip due to the pandemic, so we can't necessarily correlate that increase. The other thing to point out is that the licensees that Max was re referring to that have come on board that are 
um, allowing access to sports wagering here in Arizona, they have problem gambling requirements. And um, part of their requirements is um, listing our 1-800-NEXT-STEP phone number on all of their advertising, as well as including it on their commercial advertising um, and television advertising as well. So that increase in phone calls could be directly related to um, just more of a presence of our phone number, um, it getting out there in numbers that we certainly have never seen. Um, the ability of those licensees, the marketing purchases that they have made, um, we've all seen those advertisements here in the state. So just the awareness alone could be um, what has increased our phone numbers. As far as time of day, we don't necessarily see or track a pattern at this time. Um, I would say the evening is much more prominent, which makes sense to most folks that may have a job that entails um, those daytime hours. Also, um, some people seem to participate in some of those activities in the later hours in the day. So maybe they're um, reaching out during those specific times. When someone calls the helpline, are they talking to someone from your division or is that outsourced? Who, who's on the other end? We do employ a vendor to handle our helpline calls. Our DPG, Division of Problem Gambling, is small but mighty. <laughs> we uh, contain four employees, including myself, so we are not able to take um, those calls ourselves. We've worked with a vendor for more than a decade now that do a great job. So someone gives them a call and they speak with an operator, and then they have ability to immediately transfer them to a master's level clinician um, should they need to speak with someone, they can have um, a conversation um, right then and there. Um, and then of course they are um, plugged into all of our Arizona resources. We contract with counselors throughout Arizona and we offer subsidized camp gambling counseling services. And they're able to do what we call warm transfers during business hours, which would be um, during the day when counselors are available, they offer to that person who is, who is called in the ability to immediately transfer them to a counselor, um, whether it be in their zip code or if they're going to do online telehealth, someone that, that they may be able to work with in that capacity. Um, so they have all those different resources and they're able to either help them immediately um, on the line with their master's level clinicians or connect them with someone right here in Arizona. For someone listening to this who maybe is wondering if they need to call, when is the time to call? When do you know you have a sport, a gambling problem and it's time to make that call? I think that's very personal and different for everyone. Um, however, you know, Problem gambling is very similar to all the other addictions, whether it be alcohol or, or drug use. And so all those warning signs can be the same. Um, whenever your gambling is interfering with your life in a negative manner, whether that be financially, emotionally, um, with your relationships, if your significant other is mentioning to you that they are not okay with your behavior and the choices that you're making, that could be um, a, a warning sign for you that something is going on. So it, it really is different and individual for everyone. You mentioned significant others. 
if we have a significant other or a friend or a coworker, you know, a, a neighbor, just somebody we know, is there something that we, the public, we, those friends, family, significant others can do to help somebody who has a gambling problem? I'm glad you mentioned that. That's really important. Um, in the clinical terms, we call that person the person affected. So we treat both problem gamblers and persons affected. So we do offer our treatment services for those people, not only family members, as you mentioned, but also co-workers, um, people that that are affiliated in any way, shape, or form with a gambler and may be affected, um, are able to contact our helpline, connect up with our, our counseling services, and seek the treatment and advice and input that they need. Other resources available um, on our website, we have lots of great tools. We have a screening tool that people can take. We don't track that information, so people can feel confident that if they go online, they have anonymity in, in taking that quiz. We don't collect any of that data. We made sure that, that um, none of that is collected and, and saved. Um, it also is full of resources, suggestions, tips, um, connections with information. Um, and also just as we've previously mentioned, calling our helpline. People call our helpline and don't necessarily need urgent counseling services. They can ask questions. They can ask about resources in our state. That helpline, um, those folks can give them different information on who is a contracted counselor here in Arizona. And that information is contained on our, our website as well. So when it comes to in-person gambling, a person can fill out a form that asks casinos not to let them on the premises. Is there anything like that for online betting at this point? Yes, we've had our self-exclusion program in place for casinos for more than a decade. And when we knew that um, events wagering fantasy sports was coming on board, we set up a self-exclusion program for those um, as well. So we offer self-exclusion both for casinos and for event wagering fantasy sports. A person can exclude from either of those independently, or they can choose to exclude from both of those. You mentioned gambling is just like so many other addictions. And I remember when I was younger, you know, the phrase, the first one's free when it came to drugs and things like that. Online gambling, especially sports, you know, they, they give away a lot of free bets. Are those a problem um, like they would be for any other drug or alcohol or anything like that? They absolutely can be for some people. What we know nationally about problem gambling in general is that a very small percentage of the population, somewhere around 4 to 6%, um, potentially have a problem with gambling. So that means the vast majority of people do not. And so we know that most people can have those exposures and it's not a problem. But for the people that, that may be um, more predisposed to an issue, th things like you mentioned that those free wagering opportunities can present a problem. And some of the recommendations I make is that people really be careful about that if they know that they have issues with other areas of addiction. That may be something that they want to look out for. Um, but most importantly is to think about our children and exposure to gambling for our kids. You know, with online opportunities, it can be more easily accessible for youth. And so we want parents to really keep in mind and remember that just like you want to protect your children from exposure to substances at a young age, because 
we know that that is a leading factor in the potential for issues later in life. It's the same thing with gambling. Um, the, the earlier that children are exposed to gambling opportunities, the more at risk they are. So things like that, um, we, we just want to remind people to be careful, to employ some responsible gaming tools, set a limit, know wh when you go in what your limit is going to be, stick with that, make sure that first and foremost you are engaging in these sporting activities for fun, um, especially when your family is involved. And if event wagering is interfering in that fun in any way, shape, or form, give us a call and we'll, we'll take a look and see if there's anything we can help you out with. Do we know anything about the people who are calling the helpline? Are there certain groups who are more likely to call than others? Um, it, it vacillates over the years. Um, what we found in more recent years is that females were very slightly um, edging out males in number of calls. I'm not sure where we're at this year. I haven't taken a close look um, at, you know, mid-year yet. Um, but, you know, that does not mean that more women were having problems. Um, we find that that means that more women were open to the ideal of contacting a helpline. Um, so, you know, there's a big difference between people that may have a propensity for gambling issues, especially correlated to maybe sports wagering, than to those who are actually contacting us and actually seeking treatment. All right. Well, thanks for spending some time with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much. That was Elise Mickelson, director of the state's Problem Gambling Division. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, help is available at 1-800-NEXT-STEP or on the Problem Gambling Division's website, which we link to on this show's webpage at news.azpm.org. And that's our show for this week. Tune in next week as we look at two battles over education funding in the state and how they affect schools on the local level. You can find all our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcast. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Zach Ziegler is our producer with production help from Samantha Larned and Phil Howard. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer, and our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.